So it happened a couple of years ago, several years ago, actually, back when I was brand new in the ministry. I was serving a congregation out in western New York when one of the members of the church came to me and said, you know, my father passed away. He was the music director at a small, rural, Christian, conservative church out many miles from here, and I was wondering if you would officiate at his memorial service. And I said, of course, I'd be happy to be of any help that I can. I'm sorry this is happening for you. And we sat down, and she told me some stories about his life, and I prepared for this service. Now, I showed up. I took the long drive. It was about an hour and a half out in these winding roads to this little funeral home chapel out in this town. And the woman had said, you know, everybody from town knew my dad. They're all going to show up at this service, and they did. So I arrived, and the place was full, and it just kept filling and filling and filling. And as I sat there at the front of the funeral home chapel, I noticed, like I said, how many folks were there. And I thought, I'm starting to get a little nervous, but mostly feeling pretty good. I was new, after all. And as I listened to the prelude music, I noticed that there was somebody at the back of the sanctuary. It was a man, an older man, and he was dressed all in black except for the white ring of his clerical collar. And I looked at him and I thought, huh, (laughs) I think this is probably the priest from the church where this man served as the music director for the last 40 years. Huh, I thought, wonder why nobody asked him to officiate at this (laughs) service. Wonder why we're in this funeral home chapel and not in the church. Huh. Wish I'd asked that earlier. (laughs) So you can guess I, I had a little panic rising in me as this service was set to begin. And And the man, as I'm getting ready to stand up and start, he starts walking very slowly down the center aisle of this chapel, deliberately, slowly, like I said, and I am panicking. I'm thinking, it's just any second now. He's going to walk right up to the pulpit. He's going to push me out of the way. He's going to start the service. But instead, as I said, he walked slowly up the front, and he put his hand on one of the chairs there in the front row, and he just slid over and sat down. And I took a deep breath, and I stood up before anything could happen and started speaking. I began the service and started to tell some stories about this wonderful man, this father, about who he was and all that he had given. And in my mind, as you can imagine, there's something else happening, right? I'm doing my best to stay present, to be right there, to be in this service with folks. But in my head, I'm thinking, you idiot. Why didn't you ask about this? This is so obvious. Why isn't this priest officiating at the service? Why aren't we in the church? Like, how could you overlook this? And as I'm continuing to try to stay with it and stay present, the priest is right there in the front, right? And he's got his head down the whole service, hands in his lap, and he's just shaking his head from side to side (laughs) as I'm speaking and telling these stories. And the voice inside my head is getting louder and louder. And it, it moves on from, you idiot, why didn't you ask this, to he's probably just disgusted and dismayed that there's like a young woman up here leading the service, somebody who isn't even Christian. Oh, he, you know what? He probably looked on my church's website ahead of time and found out I'm a lesbian, and he can't even believe this is happening. He's like, this doesn't even count. My friend is going to hell. Like, this is, this is terrible. 
this is all I'm thinking as this, I'm staying calm and present and pastoral, and, you know, right there with people. <laughs> so I get to the end of the service and all I can think about is, you know, probably as soon as the pulse lewd music is over, he's going to be rushing the pulpit to blast me, right? So as soon as the music ends, I'm out of there. You know, I grabbed my coat. I made my way to the reception hall. I thought, you know what, I'll say goodbye to the family, offer my condolences, and get out before we have to have any conversation. But I'll tell you, one of the church elders had other ideas about what was going to happen, and she found me in the reception hall, and she very firmly took me by the elbow, and she said, Pastor, we, I'm sure you want to meet Father Smith. I know he would really like to meet you. He has a few things he'd like to say to you. Right in front there, still with his head down. And as I got closer to him, she whispered in my ear. She said, now you you probably already know this, right? That Father Smith is blind and he's pretty much deaf too. So you need to sit next to him and speak very clearly right near his ear, okay? And then she left, leaving me there with Father Smith. (laughs) Now, it turned out Father Smith was grateful that I had been able to come and officiate at the service. As he said, he's like, can you imagine how hard it would be to have to leave the service for your best friend of 40 years? He said, thanks to you being outside of our tradition, you were able to come and tell his stories. You were able to make this so much more personal than it would have been if I had done it. And you know, our church, it just wasn't big enough to hold everybody. So it's so good we were here in this space with you together. Now, you can probably imagine that I didn't really know what to say at that point. I was blown away by what had been happening in my own mind versus what was real right there in front of me. I think I managed to stumble out just a a quick, I'm so sorry for your loss. It's an honor to be of any help. And out I went into the car. And I'll tell you that whole car ride home, that long car, car ride through the winding roads, I just kept thinking about the power, the total power that my own internal storyline can have on my life. The way that what I expect to see and hear can limit my ability to let in what's really going on right in front of me. Because you see, I was completely sure that this man hated me, right? I mean, that was obvious. He was out there seething at me. But that was just my stuff, my own stuff that was getting in the way, my own worries that people were going to judge me because I was young, because I was a woman, because maybe I had made a mistake by not asking that important question. And I'll tell you, if it hadn't been for that church elder who wisely and firmly took me by the, by the elbow in that moment, I would never have known that I was wrong. My own internal storyline, it would have been confirmed one more time, right? See, people don't really want me up there. All those things that I think in my head sometimes, they would have just been confirmed again, except for this person who helped to open the door and helped me to look at reality. Now, It was one of those experiences I'll never shake that showed me, again, the power of these storylines, of these old ingrained fears and worries and expectations we have in our life. Now, looking back on this, I was a little surprised to find out how shocked I was by all of it. I mean, after all, I was a psychology major in college. I knew about all the scientific research that's out there, the studies that say we really do only see what we expect 
to see that we are created this way for whatever reason our heads work this way that given all of these facts in front of us we see what we expect to see what we want to see we miss a lot of what is right in front of us but somehow I guess I thought I was different right I thought well I knew about these studies so it won't happen to me I'm not that person I will take in the unpatterned facts and let the story unfold but I was so wrong I was totally wrong about that. These old patterns, they take over for us sometimes, whether we know it or not. And there we are thinking and acting automatically and missing the truth that's right there in front of us. These limit us, of course. These storylines that we have, these old ways of thinking the scripts, as Justin called them a few weeks back. And I'll tell you, I don't know what your particular storyline is, but I know after talking to hundreds and hundreds of people over the course of my career so far that all of us have them. All of us have these storylines that we carry. They're filled up with the way that we think things are going to turn out. They're filled up with fears and judgments. They're filled up with a sense of privilege or entitlement. There's so much in there that gets in our way of seeing things as they actually are. These storylines, they put very real limits on our lives. They limit what we see, but they also limit how we are because of how we're thinking. And I think about the ways that our hearts constrict, the way that our hands clench when those old storylines take shape. And we, right, as spiritual people, we want those open hands, that open heart. But it's hard to get there. It's hard to stay there. Now, not that long ago, I came across a story that was told by the Western Buddhist nun, Pema Chodron. Now, if you, maybe you've heard of her, maybe you haven't, but she is kind of world-renowned. She's able to put Buddhist teachings into very simple and straightforward stories and words. And every picture of her that I've ever seen, she's got this gentle, beaming smile. She's got the short hair and the robe, and she just looks like somebody you would want to sit next to, especially if you were sad. And she told this story in her book. She said, Once I was staying at my daughter's house, and for some reason I was feeling raw and out of sorts. And it was in this prickly mood, she said, that I received an upsetting email. And the feelings, which were already percolating in me, she said, they kicked in with a vengeance. Now, you've probably all had that email or voicemail experience, she says. And it was Sunday night, so I decided to avoid direct, talking directly to the woman who sent the email by calling and leaving a voicemail at her work number, an angry message. <laughs> I called and did this so that when she came in on Monday morning, she was going to get it. She was going to get my call. And I felt completely justified, she said, because I knew I was in a position of power. I knew that ultimately this company was going to have to do what I asked for because they needed my cooperation. She said, I let the storyline blind me. And I thought, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm going to tell it straight. I'm going to set them straight, she says. And looking back as she talks about the story. She says, you know, I cringe now when I think about some of the obnoxious and arrogant things that I said on that message, practically to the degree of, do you know who you're talking to? When I hung up the phone, she says, I was still in the throes of this storyline, still convincing myself that I was right to call and leave this angry message and stubbornly fueling my own righteous indignation. 
But it turns out my daughter had been sitting there the whole time listening to this message I had left and the look on her face, well, I'd never seen anything like it, she said. She was absolutely flabbergasted and what she said next I considered to be a great compliment considering I was 68 and she was in her mid-40s. The daughter said, Mom, I have never seen you lose it like that. (laughs) Now, on the one hand, I thought that was pretty good, Pema says. And I let the feelings and the storyline continue to run and take over and justify what I had done. But finally, seeing my daughter's total astonishment at my outburst, it finally brought me to my senses, she says. It was the reaction she saw on her daughter's face. That was how she knew she was out of alignment, out of whack, not acting the way she hoped to in the world. She saw her behavior through someone else's eyes and she began to make some adjustments. She got a moment where she saw how that old storyline of entitlement, of privilege, of justification was playing out in her life. And she put it down. She dropped the storyline, as she says. She took a deep breath and she started again. Now, I think for most of us, most of the time we catch ourselves before we go blasting off into that old storyline and following it to its logical, usually messy end. I think most of the time we know when it's coming, we know when we're hooked, right? When we can feel that whatever emotions are coming up in us, well, they're disproportionate to the situation that's right in front of us. And when that happens, we can see it, we can take a deep breath, we can center ourselves, and we can start again. But it doesn't happen all the time, right? And somehow, when I read this story from this very practiced, revered spiritual teacher, and I saw, oh, she gets hooked too, she messes up, I thought, this is the best news ever. (laughs) This is great news. We are all in this. We are all in this messy, unpredictable, beautiful life. We're all in it. We all get hooked from time to time, and when we're lucky, we help to catch each other. We help to see one another, to let one another know when we're in those old stories, to take the deep breath, to let it go, to drop it, to throw it away, and to start again. Now, I love that. I love that image of being able to start again, to love life right where we are. And to me, that is what our poem, our reading was all about this morning. Living right here in the messy middle of it all, there were those wonderful neighbors, right, with their lives not turning out anything like they had planned. And still, there they are with their children turned into foreigners, with the winter that was long and hard, with their aching bodies and their limited time. There they are, out in the yard, making their own mini Sicily, making their way down the road, step by step, waving that mud-caked hand at each other in hello. That is who I want to be in this world, and I think it is who you want to be in this world, too, living with hands unclenched, letting in the sun, no matter what is going on, waving those mud-caked hands in hello at each other. And I'll tell you, this kind of spiritual life, this spiritual life I'm talking about, it is not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination, especially if we're going to actually engage with one another and engage in this world. 
And I think right now, right in the middle of this election season, we are having plenty of opportunities to let go of the storyline, to drop it and start again. I keep bringing the voice of one of my favorite spiritual teachers to mind, Sharon Salzberg. She says the, the essence of faith is the willing to start over again and again and again. That the primary spiritual practice for us is to start over. And we can do it a million times a day, she says. And like I said, in the midst of this election time, this season where people's rights and lives are on the line, are on the ballot, I know that I, for one, can find myself with my heart constricting, with my heart closing, my hands clenching. I can fall back into my old familiar storyline that says it's just going to be another blow. It's just going to be another disappointment, something else I have to learn to live with for myself and for my family and for all of us. And when that old storyline starts playing, I do clench my hands and I fail to see the reality that is all around me. Somehow I forget, I magically forget that I actually come from a state from New York where we fought for and we got marriage equality. We fought for years and we got it. It took disappointments and it took time and it took effort, but we made it there. And so it is possible everywhere, right? But I forget that when I'm in my old clenched hands storyline. When I'm in my old clenched hands storyline, I forget to look up and look around at all of you. All of you and so many others who are giving of your time and your talent and your money to fight these amendments. I don't see you. I don't hear the conversations that you're having, the ways that you are changing yourselves and each other every time you reach out and dare for it to be different. And so, friends, I am covenanting with myself, with all of you, to begin again. To begin again and again and again in the election season and every day after to try my best to see what is really around me, the love and the support and the movement toward justice that will happen this year and next year and the year after that. It will keep moving. So this, friends, this brings us to what I believe is the real question for today, the real question for us as spiritual people, as people of faith. And the question is this. How will we begin again? How will we take up this primary spiritual practice? What storyline do we each need to let go of that we might see what is right in front of us? How might we begin again and again and again and again? May it be so. And amen.